Today's episode is brought to you by Jason Knadler and the Bank of Springfield. I will be the first to tell you that I am not the most literate person financially, but I do know people. And I know that the Bank of Springfield has invested in a lot of people that I know and trust. They have invested heavily in former local area athletes and baseball players. Off the top of my head, I can think of, you know, Jason Knadler, Justin Knadler, Eric Weaver, Tim Wallen, Greg Morantz. Frank Stefano, Murph Mathiot, Ryan Murphy. These are all guys that I know and trust and would have no problems putting my financial future in their hands. And so Bank of Springfield is always involving themselves in local charities and the community and talks about being a family. Um, So if you're going to put your money somewhere, take it to Bank of Springfield. These are guys you can trust. We are also brought to you by Body Cemetery, located at 2201 West White Oaks Drive, bodycemetery.com. More specifically, Chad Marshick, the owner, head trainer. This guy is just amazing on so many levels. He is capable of training anyone from a child to a pro athlete to just your normal everyday person to the elderly. Um, and not only is he a trainer, but he is also adept with you know physical therapy, nutrition, Everything is going to be customized to you and what you need. There's a movement analysis when you first come in to address any deficiencies you have. It's all customized. You know, Chad is the most positive, happy guy I've ever been around. Uh, body symmetry will get you right. I would, you know, put my, my faith in Chad and his trainers any day. So go to bodysymmetry.com, get set up. Chad, we appreciate you. Thank you. We are also brought to you by Washco Strength and Speed, located at 3604 North Peoria Road. There's also a second location in Jacksonville. Jared can be reached at 217-899-3233. I do not think there is a better place to take your youth athlete, specifically a baseball or softball player, than Washco Strength and Speed. Jared was an SHG grad. Um, He went to ISU. He pitched at SCI. He has a certified strength and conditioning specialist, which is the top certification you can get in the game. He is on it with his programming. He stays on new modalities and training methods. Um, He offers summer camps, team training, group training, arm care, velocity work. The proof is really in the pudding when it comes to Jared. All of his athletes get stronger. They get faster. They get more explosive. Um, they're they're less injury prone. He's cranking out athletes to college. If you really care about your athlete and you want to invest in them, send them to Washco Strength and Speed. Hey guys, Post Game Spread Podcast. I'm your host, Blake Helm. We are back with another episode of Out of Left Field with Joey Albsmeyer. Joey has some amazing, hilarious takes on the O'Malley podcast, which I it I think it could not have gone better. I'm so thrilled with it. I'm so thrilled with how he did. Ryan is an absolute champion of a person, so Joey's got some great takes. We even have an old uh, Dusty Bensko story that pops back up, too. Uh, Joey is going to mention this, but I would like to reiterate it. We are going to be making this charitable, so every time Joey comes on and gives us his takes that no one asks for, I'm going to be dropping 20, Joey's going to be dropping 20, we're going to be matching, and we're going to be calling it the Ron Riggle Senior or Big Bull Scholarship Fund, and we're going to be moving that around to different baseball entities in the community, so <clears throat> sometimes Logger Baseball, sometimes uh, the Boys and Girls Club, and also 
local little league every time it gets to 100 bucks we're going to move that around so that's exciting for us a couple things i wanted to touch on before i hand it over to joey Uh, one of the really interesting things i thought about the o'malley podcast when i re-listened to it was just how he in every aspect of his life made the best of it like he wasn't always dealt the best cards but he made the best of it you know like he wasn't drafted he made the best of it he became a mop-up man in the minor leagues he made the best of it and like those are you know circumstances that might bring down someone else in baseball and he didn't let it and he kept persevering and moving forward and it really stuck with me that he was working with life and not against it and I just thought that was really cool and uh, another thing Joey's going to talk about um O'Malley in the looks department and I have one thing I wanted to comment on that I thought was funny and I used to get to run around with O'Malley and Jason and Justin Knadler back in the day a little bit and it was always really interesting actually going out with him because I will first say that O'Malley is you know a first class guy and he treated everyone with respect and kindness but it was so weird seeing us walk into a bar and feeling like everyone was staring at us sorry not at us at O'Malley not at us in any way they were looking at O'Malley men and women and they would come up and talk to him and it was you know he handled it well but it was just weird to see like I'd never been close to celebrity like that and I know it's just a little small bubble of celebrity but really interesting um thing so and then I'm going to take you out with a Claude Krasick story I got to interview Claude for the Jason Canadler podcast coming up and Claude um gets to address uh when O'Malley said he thought the logger logo was Claude or made in his likeness so it's a really hilarious little take and then lastly uh coming up we have the Jason Canadler podcast story journey it's going to be amazing this guy has been like a true big brother mentor to me and more in many ways and I couldn't think higher of him and I there's some really really cool parts of his story and I got to talk to all these like high level baseball guys I got to talk to Don Kelly the the Pirates uh, bench coach. I got to talk to Tracy Smith, the head coach at University of Michigan, uh, Ron Big Bull, Bull, uh, Jamie Stash, Justin Knadler, you know, Claude Krasick, not to mention. And uh, it's just going to be great. I got it all planned out. I couldn't think higher of Jason and his family. So, all right, guys, enjoy Out of Left Field with Joey Albesmeyer. That's enough for me for now. Hey, guys back with another episode here of out of left field where I give my reactions uh, to things that literally nobody asked me to. So a lot to, um, lot to cover, man, that, that Ryan O'Malley story, part one, part two is a whole lot to take in. Uh, As someone who just uh, obviously knew who he was, we interacted a couple of times at Lincoln land when I was there, I was there. Oh, three Oh four. So he obviously was gone, but came back a couple of times. So uh, everything, that you hear on there. I mean, whether you met him one time or you were his best friend, it seems like everyone has a consistent um, impression of him, things to say and all that. Uh, Before I get started, two things really cool about being involved in this podcast. One thing that I I did not anticipate whatsoever, uh, really cool, was that I got a Facebook message just kind of out of the blue, and it was actually recently. So I think O'Malley's story kind of brought some new eyes to some old pods. Um, and really it was from a guy named Dustin Rosenthal and he just opens up and he's like, Hey, uh, been listening to the, um, 
the podcast that, about Dusty, and he goes, I was playing left field the game that he hit that home run at Lincoln Land, you're talking about it. And he goes, listen, it definitely cleared the lights and went into the top of the trees. By far the longest home run I've ever seen while on the field. He says, I still talk about it to this day. So <laughs> that then prompted me to send a screenshot of it to Dusty, and we joked about it that it was confirmed. And uh, But what we also discovered is he is actually from Morrisonville, um, so I was kind of combining two memories. The home run happened against Morrisonville, uh, and then him getting hit and flinging the bat at us happened a, the a following year at Lincoln Land against Litchfield. Actually got hit by a pitcher that I played with at Lincoln Land, Kenny Young. So that's, I think, where I was combining the two. But either way, not to harp on it too much, but really funny just to relive that. Um, and really cool that, you know, guys uh, that played in the area are listening to some of this and getting to relive it. So that was kind of cool. Um, uh, the other thing, you know, I, as much as everyone loves to just hear me ramble on and give my, my thoughts on this, each time I do one of these, uh, I'm chipping in 20 bucks uh, with Blake. Um, not sure exactly where it's going to go, possibly to help Lincoln Land, possibly Boys and Girls Club, local Little League, whatever it is. But that way um, makes me feel a little better than I'm just on here uh, talking in an empty room to myself, giving a reaction. So anyway, let's let's dive on in. And man, how can you start uh, anything about Ryan O'Malley without acknowledging the elephant in the room? I mean, if you if you see somebody that's seven foot tall, you can't help but say, "Man, man." He's look at him. He's tall. Uh, if you see so, if you see Arnold Schwarzenegger back in the day, you're gonna say, "Man, this guy's ripped. Look at his muscles." If you see Ryan O'Malley, like you just can't say, "Jesus, look at his face." Like there's there's just no way around it. Like uh, he has that attractive quality where people want to be around him. You just uh, for whatever reason, man, God gave him a great face, and you got to acknowledge it and move on. And so there we go. But that got me thinking, does he, like, is this a blessing or is that a curse? Um, I mean, do you know, do you, you gotta know, right? Like you've gotta know when so many people tell it to you, do you get tired of hearing it? Um, and like, how do you even, I mean, I mean, obviously he, he took the one way of where he's very humble and plays it down and laughs it off. But like, if you're his friend, how do you even like, how do you even go out with him? How do you go to a bar and uh, like hang around and like notice that all, you know, all the females have to be attracted to him and have to look. And so like, are you like as, as a wingman or as a, somebody that's just around, I mean, do you just go up to the group and just kind of cut yourself in and just be like, ladies, look, there's only one that can win the trophy, but you know, the rest of us hand out ribbons for fifth and sixth place too. Like, let's just go ahead and take care of what needs to be taken care of and, and everybody else fall in line. I don't know. Uh, just something to acknowledge. I'm sure he's tired of hearing it by now, but it's just one of those things that if you, you can't, you can't, uh, you can't have a hundred mile per hour fastball in the looks department and not talk about it. Right. So anyway, moving on. Uh, the, the stories of him in his childhood, having a baseball field in his yard, uh, man, that hit so hard. Like, is there anything as a child that you could have wanted more was to have some sort of facility in your yard? Like, I'm sure everyone, 
you know, hits wiffle balls over their fence or into trees and, and imagines it and pictures it. And so like, I don't have a big enough yard for that now as an adult with my kids, but like, I totally try and do that stuff. Like I, I, I bought a, a, a field striping painter just to put football lines and batting box lines back there. So, I mean, that's, uh, everything that, you know, even now as an adult, I would love to have those things just to, to play back there. So, I mean, that was super cool to hear about. And I can only imagine that like, that was the, the meeting spot for all the kids to be able to do that. And my goodness, talking about his dad stringing up lights so that they can play night games. I mean, that's not the, that's certainly not the Athens that I remember. I know I'm a little bit younger, but like he talked about going, you know, Cantrell and Athens and, and having some success there. Uh, and there, there must've just been, um, I don't, I don't know if there was just a good wave of athletes before I got in there or if they're, uh, they had some other athletes move away, but, uh, just from, from 90, uh, my goodness middle. So from, I don't know, 97 to 2002, I don't remember Athens having too many, uh, powerhouse athletes or having too much success. So how, how, uh, I guess what a great foresight his parents had to have to move him to to SHG and all that not that a, a talent like that wouldn't have you know been able to shine anywhere that they were but interesting to hear all of that stuff um you know rolling right in uh listen I'm a crier too and if you haven't listened to his his part one and part two you got to go back because uh Blake hits him right away with a sound clip of his dad um, talking about him going to Wrigley as a kid with his grandma and being at Wrigley and telling her like, Hey, I, you know, this is what I want to do someday. I'm going to do that. And of course I, you know, I couldn't see his face or anything like that. But when the audio picks back up, he's choking up and crying and everything. And at the time I was like, Oh man, this is powerful. Like we started right away. Like I didn't anticipate that, you know, he got him. Uh, and I'm thinking in my head, man, this, that would that'd make for some good, you know, video or whatever. Um, and this is just my wicked sense of humor here. It's like, you know what? O'Malley is okay. Super athletic, super successful, talented. Everyone has great things to say about him. Handsome as can be. I thought, you know what? Maybe is he an ugly crier? Like, is this the one thing that God gave to even it out? And so I found myself thinking, I'm like, oh man, we need some video on this. Like, is that the one thing that they can give us that, that we can cling to is that, well, you know, he's, he's got 99 things, but like, man, when you get him crying, ooh, I don't know, just, I know that's silly, but uh cool, cool thing to have all those memories. Um, all those, you know, all those, those memories growing up of being able to play ball and being a super hard worker and, uh, all the support that, that he gets from his family. Um, really, really cool that he was able to, uh, share all of those things with him. And, um, you know, makes me, you know, with, with boys of my own coming up, um, you know, it reminds me how worth it it is, you know, to be there for them and to spend the extra time and, um, you know, to push them. And because hopefully it, uh, obviously at my, I'm proud of my kids no matter what, and I don't anticipate them making it through to any sort of professional ranks, but, um, you know, just obviously the, the memories of your parents being there for you and spending that time, uh, definitely shines through. Okay. A couple things that have been really cool. Um, I think about both Aper or Aper, Dusty and, uh, O'Malley is man how little league comes up and how little league in central illinois just 
and I know Dusty picked on it, um, you know, the, the Southwest and the Fairview and Ryan O'Malley gets into it a little bit too. Like it's, it makes me start to wonder. It's, it's so cool to hear guys that, that reach the highest peaks and were the most talented and the best players. It's cool to hear them talk about other guys that they think were studs on their team and how excited they get to sing other guys praises and all that. And it got me thinking, imagine, Imagine a a 1990s Springfield area little league like player tree, almost like you get, you know, you've got the not the Belichick, you know, whoever the Belichick coaching tree or the, you know, whomever coaching tree where you get like this group of guys that started. And then there's, well, this guy coached with that guy, coached with that guy, and he made it here. I wonder what a what a Springfield little league, you know, player tree would look like and how many of the guys played division one or played, you know, professionally and all that. Um, and then they also, you know, uh, what I really loved O'Malley touch on was that he really liked playing other sports. And I, I know that's something that I battle with here with my kids is that all of the programming and all of the seasons, uh, don't take a, don't take a break for anything. And it's like, it's really hard to have your kids play multiple sports because you've got, you know, every, every program, every curriculum, every workout, you know, travel ball and, and leagues and this and that. And it's almost like you've got, you know, 11 months out of the year, every single sport you can find, you know, something to do. Um, so re- really cool. I think that he, uh, at least brought up, you know, the other sports and, and how that made a difference. And, um, you know, there's, there's only, there's only so many years that you can develop athletically and coordination and, you know, um, you know, feel, feel for your body and, and all that different stuff. I've now, um, you know, guys that develop their skills super young, at least I remember, don't always translate to be the ones that are that skilled when you get older. Um, I'm a, I'm a huge proponent for just developing athletically when you're young and the skills will come. Um, but that's hard to fight, you know, the parents at this age when everybody wants, everybody wants to win, you know, and win now. Um, and it's, it's hard to say, you know, everybody relax, you know, we're, the kids are developing athletically and the, the skills will come. Um, and I think that's a big thing. It's probably not. I mean, I don't don't know if we can go back and listen. You know, Aper. I know obviously Dusty was a multi sport athlete. O'Malley was as well. Um, I would venture to guess that a lot of the the top athletes, um, at least from you know twenty twenty five years ago, would credit their athletic ability first and then their skills coming on second. Um, and you know that we get back into the travel team and the travel ball um, conversations and you know back when it it absolutely was an honor and it, it meant something when you made it to a travel team. I remember, man, I had to, um, I had to wait, you know, I wasn't either, I wasn't good enough. I wasn't, didn't know the right people to get in on some of those travel teams when I was young. I didn't play travel until I think I was a sophomore in high school. Uh, but I mean, I certainly knew that these other teams were going and, you know, playing in Rockford and Minnesota and all that other stuff. Um, but I think that's what, what still made it special. I mean, I think if, uh, at that time, you know, if a bunch of just average players would have gotten together and, and built up a travel team, I don't think it would have meant the same. So, um, you know, not that there's a whole podcast or a whole episode coming up on, on Springfield, you know, travel teams, but I'm guessing every guest that comes on, they'll mention it in some form or fashion. Cause it was just 
uh, you know, the start of the start of a lot of really good talent in that area. And um, everyone says the same things, right? That they're, you know, once you find that level of competition, everyone sort of gravitates to it. So that was, um, that was really neat. So one other thing, uh, then this, this may not mean anything to anybody, but, um, I got to tell this story. So O'Malley specifically mentions Pete Christophilakis and (laughs) for that name gives me nightmares because I was, uh, I was just, well, we had just a small enough group in planes that we all had to combine together. And however old the oldest kid was, we had to play in that division. So I think I was something like nine or 10 and we were playing the U 12 Sangamon state soccer league, which I think technically at that time you could have been 13 still playing in the U 12 league. And when I tell you Pete Christophilakis absolutely filleted us fillet is not even a strong enough term. I think I think the score was 13 to zero. I vaguely remember Peter Christophilakis taking the ball. First of all, we had a kickoff. He steals it immediately. We come running. He chips down at the ball, flips it up over one of our heads, does a one-touch catch, runs around us, does a one-touch catch over our heads, takes maybe a dribble or two, absolutely fires this ball from I don't know how far away, puts a little curve on it and and rings it off the upper 90 in the net. And we all just sort of stand there with our arms shrugging. I mean, first of all, we were standing there with sweatpants on and, and a uh, starter jacket underneath our T-shirt jersey anyway. And he's probably got, you know, the, the slick umbros at the time, which was the cool shorts to wear. Uh, I mean, it was, you know, even then, I didn't know a lot of people's names back then, right? When you're nine, 10, 11 years old, you don't know other people not on your team that you're playing with. We knew his name. Uh, and that, <laughs> that was, that was definitely different. Uh, not that we had any business being on a soccer field anyway, but, uh, man, it was those old Sangamon state soccer fields by, I think the old drive-in or by Knights action park. I think I could be way wrong on that, but I, um, I do not ever, Will not ever forget Peter Christophilakis uh, absolutely ruining soccer for uh, an entire uh, group of, of athletes there. So, <laughs> and I know I know he did really well, and I think uh, uh, I don't know if he ended up playing uh, football as well and kicking for them, maybe at Uni- University of Illinois or whatever. But um, yeah, had to <laughs> had to tell that story. Uh, and if O'Malley was as was on that level, uh, it's a shame that he wasn't able to keep up with soccer because. Um, you know, that was, you know, incredible athlete, really good level of, uh, of play there. Getting into, um, when O'Malley starts to talk about coach Krasick, man, what an absolute gem he was. Uh, I mean, not just, not just setting the tone and building a program and, and, you know, being able to recruit talent and all that, uh, just, I mean, just such a such a kind hearted person too. Like he remembers, uh, memories and instances and he remembers your parents' names and, you know, times that they helped out or, and this and that. I mean, just a, a really, really great guy. I remember 
uh, my first year at Lincoln Land was he had just retired from coaching the year before. So I was in Bull's first recruiting class. But Coach Krasick still taught a class at Lincoln Land. And, of course, we all took it. And I think it was baseball appreciation or intro to baseball or whatever. And here, we, I mean, we thought, you know, this is just a, a, a free time or whatever. That could not have been more wrong. Krasick was in there to absolutely share all of his knowledge on everything baseball related. We were not in a classroom. We were outside. I mean, we were doing, we were doing swinging drills with ropes. We were uh, doing, I don't know. We were doing forearm uh, weightlifting things. There wasn't, I mean, Krasick could pick up a, a stick and leaf off the ground and give you a hitting drill within the first 30 seconds. Um, he had us, I think it was in the fall, so, I mean, some of our homework was to watch baseball on TV and and write down the mechanics of a bunch of different baseball swings, and then we would bring it in. He would break it down on who was the quickest and, and who got the barrel through the zone, you know, most and why this person's – watch this person's weight and balance. I mean, just a true baseball lifer. Um, you know, never got to play for him, but I did get to interact with him quite a bit. Um, and just what a – just always on 100% of the time. He was always just, every time I saw him, uh, you know, very, very pleasant. Now, of course, let me, I guess let me back up because O'Malley talked about them having these marathon practices and if they weren't, uh, you know, if they weren't doing what they were supposed to do, he'd just keep going. So I'm sure, you know, when it was time to buckle down, he did. But every time I interacted with him, he was, you know, very pleasant, always very happy, very positive and willing to help and um, got to interact with him a little bit more when I played for rifles uh, the, the first year, at least he was still kind of involved and um, had the whole team over to his house and fed us and uh, you know, showed us his collection of, of, you know, memorabilia and where he'd been and all that different stuff. So um, just love, you know, I love hearing the guys talk uh, about him and it just makes me, makes me think and makes me wonder how great of a, like not lucky, but just how fortunate uh, he was to secure all of that talent, you know, not my, my brother-in-law played for Lincoln land back in the 90, the early and earlier nineties. And he was part of that 94 team. Um, and then in 2000 to assemble that type of talent and uh, to have five guys drafted there. I mean, what a, what a testament to him and the program that he built and, and all that. So kind of when O'Malley talks about, you know, he wanted to go to, to Illinois and, you know, at the time you think you need some sort of scholarship and he, he had, you had talked to, you know, wanted to go to Southern Illinois and all that other stuff. Uh, I remember when I was in high school and I feel, I'm so embarrassed and I feel so silly about this now, but like, I remember thinking the same thing about myself too. Like I, I, I did not have the perspective then of all these guys that had just come through before me and how, like what level of players they were. It was like, you know, your ego, everybody's ego wants to believe that you can, you know, I, for me, it was sneaking on. I was like, I, I kept telling myself, I'm like, I was a good player on a good team. And I'm like, I could sneak on to the very bottom of a D one roster. And I'm like, it, to me, it wasn't about play. It was, it was all ego, you know? Um, and I was thinking to myself, I'm like, if I can just get on a team somewhere, I can compete and I'll, you know, be a, a utility guy and I'll fill in wherever it, you know, needs to. Um, and then, you know, when O'Malley talks about how fortunate he feels to end up at Lincoln Land, uh, man, I, I kick myself now for thinking that way also. It's like, look at all these studs that came through there and what an amazing program, like the way that they treat you. And man, I can tell you my my experience at Lincoln Land was so much better 
than my experience at my four-year university. I mean, I, I loved all the guys that I played with and it was down in Florida and we had some success and there were guys there too. But I mean, it's just the little things you don't think about. It's just like the, the personal relationship I had with Bull and, you know, just the, you know, the intro music and the way that they feed you and the transportation you take to games and uh, the equipment and the apparel and the fundraising and just the sense of community and um, all of that stuff was, was amazing. And you don't, you know, you don't think about that during recruiting. You just think, you know, Hey, my ego tells me that I want to be on a D one team and you don't think of, um, or, or at the time, you know, that wasn't at the forefront of my mind of just how, you know, take a step back and be like, look, there's, there's 10 times better players than have come through Lincoln land than you. You should just be happy that we're talking to you. And so obviously I have that perspective now, but um, it's really great to hear, uh, you know, O'Malley talk about how, you know, he, he had ideas of going other places, but just realizing now how fortunate he was to have ended up there. And I, I absolutely feel the same way. Not any, you know, admitting that, there's guys two, three, four, five times better than I was that made it through there. And I feel the same way. Um, just a, uh, just a couple of stories of what I remember of, of Rhino is, uh, what I don't, I don't remember if it was 2003 or 2004, but it was a time that he was back there. Um, and I just, we were hitting on the, um, we were hitting on the backfield, and I don't know if I was throwing BP or if I was just around there, uh, but he can It must have been a time that he was focusing a little bit more on pitching um, because he, he jumped in the cage and he had made mention that you know he hadn't done it in a little in a little while. But uh, it took him only probably four, five, six swings to get back in the groove. Um, and man, he was just absolutely striping balls. Uh, if you if you I don't know if you've been out the Lincoln Land, but as much as uh, the, the main field and the backfield kind of face the same direction. And there's a tree line that goes all the way across, le- uh, basically across left, um, on both fields. Um, and man, I just remember he was just absolutely smashing these balls on the backfield. And I thought like, I was never a, I was never a, a BP kind of guy. Like you wouldn't, I mean, you wouldn't see me in batting practice and be like, man, that guy's going to have a day today. It just, that just, just wasn't me. Um, I mean, I did fine in the games and I, you know, there's, uh, I made a lot more, I looked a lot better in the scorebook than I did on the field, but, uh, there was just something absolutely majestic about the balls that he hit in batting practice. And I kind of thought to myself, it's like, that's when it hit me that there was, um, that like there was just a different caliber of athlete that it took to get to the next level. Not that I got too down on myself, but it was just like, I always loved when the Canadlers came back uh, and when O'Malley came back, because it just, I got a good idea of um, like, just like he says, you're never, you're never as good as you think. You're never as bad as you think. And even when you're uh, thinking that you've got everything figured out, you know, guys like that come back. And when you're just around them, it reminds you that, you know, Hey, there's a, there's a different level to this. Um, and it was inspiring to everybody. It wasn't like, uh, every, at least everybody that was playing at the time always enjoyed when they came back because they were, um, you know, never, never treated anyone like they were better than them or big time them or anything like that. They, you know, very, they were very gracious of, of sharing the time and space with us. And, uh, everybody I know enjoyed when they came back because it was inspiring to kind of, put yourself in their, 
I don't know, in their camp. You know what I mean? Like you kind of felt like wherever they went, a little piece of you went because you shared the team, same, same team or same, um, you know, same space and all that. So I know they, they gained a lot of fans that way. Okay. If you know me, you probably thought I was going to lead with this. If you listen to, um, if you listen to both of the parts, I've got to know, I've got, I've got to know what happened at these WWE Sunday night pay-per-view parties. Uh, cause listen, I'm a, I'm a wrestling fan. Um, and I know for certain in 99 and 2000 was peak attitude era. We're talking Stone Cold, Steve Austin, The Rock, Undertaker, Mick Foley, Degeneration X. Like what, what could have happened at these parties that they don't want to talk about? I'm a, I'm a grown man, 39 years old. And I have, several of the full-size replica belts that I wear routinely. Listen, I've got no shame. I'm, I'm a fan. Um, I mean, the, the low hanging fruit here is, I mean, were we doing Steve Stone Cold, Steve Austin beer bashes on the patio? Um, we putting each other through tables. Um, I mean, my, my, 10 and eight year old sons both know the, the, the crotch chop suck it thing. So, uh, I mean, what are, what, what could have happened at these parties that we can't give us a little bit of glimpse of what happened or guys, don't be embarrassed. Don't be embarrassed. We were all wrestling fans at one point. Uh, I've carried it through quite a bit more than others, but, uh, you got to give me something here. We can't, we can't just bring up these WWE pay-per-view Sunday night parties, especially all the things that I've heard about Blackwell. Um, there's got to be something that you can give us, and, I, and I'm probably not going to be able to let it go. Because uh, more than anything, as much as I, as much as I would love to say that pitching at Wrigley is where you want to see yourself, uh, I think I might want to have been at these parties a little bit more. Um, I don't know. I might be alone on this, but uh, if there was one place in in all of these stories that I could see myself, uh, it was right there. And, you know, I like to think that I would have had a great time and could have brought a little bit of additional energy and juice to that, uh, to those parties. Um, but I just can't think of what, I mean, what could have gone on that we can't say anything or maybe, you know, maybe we, you know, we're, we're keeping it PG here so that the kids can, can listen and all that. But I don't know. Um, I just, I, I gotta have it. I gotta hear it. Uh, one thing that, that you, that you, or that I heard that I picked up through is there's a difference in working hard and playing hard. Um, and man, it just seems like from what we've heard so far, a huge difference of guys that make it work hard. Um, and I kind of put myself in the category of, I I played hard, um, whenever it was time to practice, whenever it was time to play, I was very focused and I gave my all. Um, but man, I just didn't have, I, no one, no one is going to tell a story about me of all the work that I put in outside of the normal hours. I mean, they'll, some will say some good things about, you know, the times that we were on the field, but that's definitely a trait that the special ones have is, is how much they work outside of, outside of, you know, the normal times, you know, they, they play hard and they work hard. Um, 
And I, I, I wanted to say that that there, there's so O'Malley talks about how much good fortune he had, you know, when you get, he was obviously to go to the Cubs and then he made quick friends with Rich Hill. And, um, you know, he had coaches along the way that were his friends and, uh, you know, he, every team that he was on was winning. And I start to think, I'm like, Oh my gosh, he gets like, he gets breaks at every turn and he's very fortunate. But then it's like, you know what? Like i I think the, 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 the hardest workers probably do have more fortunate breaks and that might just be the way it happens. So, I mean, that's a, that's an interesting thing that I picked up is, is your, um, maybe that that's the difference of guys that get, get opportunities and get to make it through and, and why you see, why you wonder why so many guys sort of fizzle out is that there's, um, you know, there's playing hard and there's working hard. And I think it sounds like he definitely worked hard, but I got to say, on the on the being fortunate piece and listen there's no way there's no way that he's this handsome that people give him all these breaks but listen where i'm going with this come on the guy said that he sunk his uh host family's boat and the guy wasn't even mad like <laughs> that like that's some like that's some hot girl stuff right there. Like, oh, sorry, I broke your boat, and then you forgive her because, like, sorry, you're the hot girl. Like, come on, there's got to be more to that story that him and Jason Canadler were out drinking and sunk his boat, and the guy was just happy for him. Like, come on, there's I need I need to know more on that story too. All right, final thoughts. Uh, we can wrap this up. Um, one thing I've got to say, um, how, how amazing, uh, the whole Kolovic thing is, uh, I was pretty fortunate in high school that, uh, Tony Kolovic had sons that went to Plains. So any time that it rained, um, we started moving practices there and we were able to hit in that facility. Um, and obviously looking back now, I didn't realize how fortunate that was and how amazing that was to have that access. Uh, and then very quickly, um, just like they said, you, you, if you were trusted to be in there, you had a, uh, you had a punch key code to the door that obviously didn't go into the auto body shop. It just went upstairs to the batting cages. And like, I remember several nights and weekends where a bunch of us guys, if we were just bored, uh, like we would pop in there and just get some extra reps in. And I'm like, that's, uh, man, if I had a facility like that, you can guarantee that like, uh, I would have cameras up in there. The code would be changed every day. I wouldn't trust anybody in there. Like that takes a very special person that like, um, had a, you know, had a vision and had, uh, you know, relationships with people that just, um, you know, trusted them and, and wanted them to, to provide a place for them to work. And, uh, for me, it was just, you know, getting extra reps and playing in there. I had no idea that there was kind of a, a nice, uh, you know, day saving revenue stream for them that they could come in there and, and, and do lessons and stuff like that. So that's really, really a cool thing. Um, and I obviously really, you know, neat that he was able to go to be a part of the, the group that flew down and saw his debut and all that. And so, uh, not much else I can say, um, about his debut, um, you know, that hasn't already been said, but like how, how could, how is this not, how is this not a movie? Like you can't, you can't write it any better than that with him. You know, the, the whole scenario surrounding him being called up, 
um, my goodness, the guy, the guy made the finals of the bachelor and turned it down because, you know, he knew that he's like, he's got too good of a family and too good of a person. Like, uh, and then for him to do so well, get to stay with the team, get to pitch at Wrigley. His grandma was there. Uh, Oh Jesus. He takes the train to Wrigley field and runs into his college teammate and one of his best friends on the way in to go pitch in one of the most famous stadiums in the world. Like, I can't believe he just glossed over that. And he's like, Oh yeah, I took the train and I bumped into to, to JA. Like that, that blows my mind that you wouldn't, that that so fortunate that that happened. And then the movie, the Hollywood plot twist of having his arm injured during the game and having that uh, opportunity taken away from him and um, you know, not ever being able to get back to that point. Like, there's not there's not a, a screenwriter in Hollywood that could come up with all those twists and turns and and make it any better. Um, and and just the, the little cool little quirky things about when he gets off the um, he gets off the golf cart uh, it in Houston and the guy brings him his jersey and there's no apostrophe on it. Like the, to me, that's like one of the coolest little niche like nuances um you know, if you're, if you're into like collecting things, uh, things that have a little defect or a little error in, in them are vastly more valuable than the other things. And to me, like, that's such a cool little thing to remember and think about that the guy was like, Oh, sorry, we didn't have an apostrophe for you, you know, because you got called up and you had three hours to prepare your mind for this. Um, yeah, just, I think, I know that that's silly, but like, when, if we're talking about making it into a movie, I feel like that would be a really cool scene where he shows up and he doesn't have, you know, the apostrophe on the jersey and whatever. So, um, I mean, as a Cubs fan myself, uh, I always loved Dempster before, loved Rich Hill. Uh, but if I'm being honest, I did not care for Michael Barrett that much before. Uh, and I honestly, I can't think back of what my reasons are why. Uh, but I guarantee you now, um, immediately switched my mind up. Um, and I know it's obviously too late to cheer for him or anything like that. And, uh, but let me tell you, I had had no idea all that stuff with Michael Barrett and the, um, I mean, just how funny that was. I mean, could this not be another scene, uh, in the movie where he, uh, O'Malley shakes him off twice and Barrett runs out to the mound and, you know, he tells him just to hit the mitt and all that. Like that's, that's cinematic stuff. Super cool. Um, you know, and then, uh, obviously getting, getting to stay on with the team and talk about the, talk about the, the airplane ride with all of that stuff. I mean, having not been in or around any of that stuff, um, those types of moments were, were as cool for me to hear about, uh, than, than anything else. And, um, then, you know, then obviously going, going to work and, and being a, a coach and doing all that other stuff with, uh, a couple different organizations. Um, just a really, really cool story to hear from from front to back. And man, I hope we can. I don't know that too many people's stories are going to top um, Ryan O'Malley's story, but a uh, really cool thing that Blake has started here. I've really enjoyed all three of the guests so far. Um, even knowing full well that not many of the guests are going to have you know, that romantic of a story about pitching at Wrigley and all that stuff. But, uh, man, it just, I love, I love hearing about little league and guys you used to play with and traveling teams you played on and other guys that you thought were, 
you know, played well. And, um, man, there's just so many, so many good memories and ups and downs. And especially for somebody like me that has as many memories, if not more, you know, in the dugout and, um, you know, during practice and BP as I do, you know, in games. I mean, if you, if I, if I had to give my, my top 10 highlights of, of baseball in my whole life, probably only two or three of them, uh, revolve around, you know, actual plays on the field. Everything else is, you know, something remarkable or, you know, super funny or, um, you know, memorable that happened because of the game of baseball or centered around baseball. But, um, you know, little of it actually has to do with, with playing. And that's, you know, (laughs) probably because I don't have as many highlights as all the other guys, but, uh, I love it nonetheless. So, um, amazing. If you, if you haven't taken the chance to listen to both uh, part one and part two of Ryan O'Malley's story all the way through. Uh, it is a, a little bit of a commitment to get all the way through it, but you can, you know, you can break it up if needed. Uh, even if you take a day or two in between, as soon as you pick back up, it all comes right back to you. So really looking forward to the uh, next couple of guests and um, looking forward to reacting to them. I want to add one story uh, that's kind of about Kolovic's auto body. And I think it's really cool that we got to touch on it, not only in the O'Malley podcast, but Joey is talking about it and talking about how kind of special it was to the community. There was only really kind of one place to hit back in the day, the hitting center, which was far away and not, not in an ideal location for, for some. I mean, it's probably a 45-minute drive if you're from Plains. But Tony Kolovic, you know, opened up this little tunnel in his auto body shop and let people use it uh, that he knew or had connections with or that were kind of like baseball dudes in the community. And um, it eventually got to the point where, uh, you know, some people were, were, were getting the codes that weren't supposed to and things weren't getting picked up. And so that's when the code started changing. He would randomly change them. And uh, so then that, that code became kind of like gold during that time period. So I remember Tony K telling me, do not let anyone in the facility that does not have the code. I don't care who they are. And he meant it. And uh, I took it to heart. Actually, I, I closed the door in the face of a family friend, Pat Sheehan, who's a couple years younger than me. Played with his brother, played with his brother Willie. Pat played at U of I. But uh, Pat came to the door one day and was banging. And I answered it. I was like, do you have the code? He was like, I don't. And I was like, sorry, dude. And like, I just slowly kind of closed the door on him. But that's how serious I was about it in terms of like I – had to have Kolovix in order to, you know, get reps in, and it was amazing. So, uh, sorry to, to Pat Sheehan. I have actually apologized to him since, but I just thought that was a cool story to kind of highlight how much Kolovix auto body meant to a lot of people. Okay, so this is the funny thing. So, O'Malley, I remember a conversation O'Malley had with me years ago. The old logger logo that used to be the, the kneeling logger with the, with the oh, axe yeah. in the hand. Oh, yeah, yep. that's, that's um, my logo. I love that one. Logan O'Malley. Tracy okay, was the ahead. guy who drew that back okay. in 1970. Wow. Yep. So here's the thing. O'Malley thought it was you. Is it you? Oh, no, I don't think so. <laughs> That's the that funny guy, thing. I think so. that, guy had, that guy had a mustache, and if he ever seen me with a mustache, he'd be laughing your ass off because I, no. I had no facial hair. <laughs> O'Malley thought it was you for years. Oh, and if you get to that part in the podcast, we, we we talk about it and we have a good laugh because he thought you thought well, it was I'll you. Be I'll be darned. I'll be darned. That's something else. 